As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This is an Unspoiled Network podcast. This is Spoil Me. Covering Travelers. Season 1, Episode 12. Grace. In this episode... We find out that the director is not actually a human being. And we also find out what was changed in the future. After all, we thought maybe nothing had changed. It has. Welcome to Spoil Me. Welcome to the show, everybody. I am Natasha. First of all, thank you very much to Karen for commissioning this episode. Uh, Karen, I don't know if you're here, but thank you very much. I was delighted to see that there was another uh, Travelers episode coming up so soon after the last one. I didn't know until just now that this was the season finale. And now it makes sense that it was such a big moment because I really was like, I my mouth was hanging open at the end of the episode where I was just like, what is going to happen? And now I'm like, okay, season finale. Now it all comes together. I didn't know until just now, like I like to watch the episode while I am recording. And I opened the uh, Travelers bit on Netflix and it opened automatically to season two. And I was like, wait, what? Wait, oh, um, can you guys remind me, was Travelers a made for Netflix series? Because there are things sometimes that'll say Netflix series on them. And it turns out that they're not like I believe Crazy Ex-Girlfriend will say it. And I'm like, it's definitely not made for Netflix. So I was just curious because, um, you know, having 12 episodes per season, I think is a bit of a Netflix thing around that number tends to be. Um, and if so, well done Netflix, because I feel like a lot of their shows, they got 
a really nice burst of momentum from Stranger Things. And a lot of people began to like trust in Netflix. And it seems a little unfounded over a lot of their other series. So I'm hoping that they were able to get it together here. Um, anyway, this episode is really full of shocks. And I'm super curious about the next one. That one uh, is going to be on Friday. And it's a voyeur. So you guys will be hanging out with me while I watch it. And I am desperately curious why that one is. <laughs> Michael commissioned it and he initially wanted this episode to be the voyeur. But because of a, an error in scheduling, it was shifted over. And he said, that's fine, actually. I almost think that's better. So we'll see how it goes. I'm super excited. Um, oh, Michael's here. Thank you, Michael. The series was an international co-production between streaming service Netflix and Canadian speciality channel Showcase for its first two seasons, after which Netflix took, took over as its sole production company and exclusive worldwide distributor. Okay, cool. Um, so God, this episode, man, where to even start? Um because I tend to go by character most of the time, because a lot of the show, they will be apart, you know, they'll have missions together. But even within the mission, they often have their own job. I think I'll start with talking about Carly. <sighs> all right, first of all, I well, okay, so <laughs> I'm, I'm like, kind, I'm, ugh, there are two characters that I really, really, my thing is with Carly, this episode that I think is, is kind of crystallizing why I have never really been super on board with her story. I don't think the actress who plays Carly is very good. And I just want to say it and get it out of the way. And I think that's part of the problem for me. She feels like she's acting. Her scenes do not ring true for me. And I sense this, like, that she does not seem genuinely tough and does not seem, like, committed in a way that I understand. The, it, and I think that is due to the acting. Because, you know, there are times where you have a character that is like kind of militant the way that she can be. And even though you don't like them and even though you don't like want them to win or agree with their argument, you get where they're coming from and at least believe that for them, the position they're taking is very real and has to be taken seriously on that. And I'm just realizing that for Carly, I don't buy it. And so there's like a bit of a, you know, a, a twist at the end of this episode with her having been assigned to kill McLaren. And it there is supposed to be this internal tension and, and you know, her deciding whether or not to follow the, the directions or whether to follow her heart or, you know. And this is something that I think I really would have cared about a lot more in the initial episodes of the show before I had started to f be frustrated with her as a character. And I couldn't understand her character. It's not 
like she's poorly written. And I really, this episode was the one that I started to realize, yeah, it's not the character. It's the actress. And I feel bad about that because that's not something that's going to change, you know, unless she just, you know, uh, gets dropped into some other body at some point. But, you know, it's never as somebody who does this, who reviews shows and, and recaps them. I never like realizing that the problem I have with a character is actually the actor, because that is not something that can be fixed. The only thing that one can hope is that gradually the actor will improve. And that can happen. There can there have definitely been times in certain shows where somebody that really did not impress me initially starts to grow on me a lot. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, totally here for it. And I'm hoping that's what happens with Carly. But I just wanted to get that out of the way because her scenes, I wanted them to matter more to me as I was watching them. And I felt bummed out that they just didn't connect when this show tends to connect pretty well with me and pretty consistently. Um, so I pretty much what I wanted to do by talking about her first is get the negative out of the way because she is a hindrance for me, but I don't, I really liked this episode overall. And I feel like this was a really strong first season. So I don't want to spend this episode dwelling on that. I just kind of wanted to explain myself and get it set aside. And like, I may be totally alone in this and you guys might not agree with me on whether she's a good actress. And acting is something that can be very subjective. I say can be cautiously because a lot of times we tend to agree on when somebody's a good actor and it's often a, an instinctive thing that you just like they they played a moment of a certain emotion and you just fucking bought it like hook line and sinker and it's not until afterwards that you remember that wasn't real because in the in the moment it feels so real and i think most of us can recognize when that has happened for us but for Carly, I don't think that she has really gotten an opportunity to even particularly play a moment of that kind of emotional resonance necessarily. And I, so, you know, it remains to be seen if there's a definitive moment that she gets that would decide for everybody whether or not she is a good actress. So I guess, you know, we'll see. Um the one that always, whenever I talk about good acting recently, I rewatched Knives Out. Do you guys, have you seen Knives Out? Brief spoiler for Knives Out, although this is revealed within the beginning of the movie. But if you don't want to know any spoilers, skip the first, the next minute. Um, there is a character in that who accidentally injects somebody with something that they were not supposed to be injected with. And the absolute unhinged panic that that slow dread as she looks at the bottles and realizes her mistake. And then the panic as she begins looking for the like antidote that's supposed to help and it's not in her bag where it's supposed to be. Her acting in that scene gets under your skin so bad and you feel that panic like you want to maybe vomit, you know, that kind of like that that anxiety panic that makes you feel sick to your stomach. She does such an amazing job with that. And that was that for me is like going to be a prime example of great acting for the rest of my life. Anyway, so let's talk about now Marcy. Let's follow up something that I didn't love with something that I did love and that was very unexpected. Philip, when 
he finally is the one who says that Marcy is a little bit different than he expected, than she was, at least. And she asks how. And he says she's less fragile. And I guess that is an interesting way to put it. He thinks that maybe it's the fact that she knew she was dying, um, that there she knew that there was something going on with her brain in her first incarnation that gave her a vulnerability. And now that that's not there, she does not have that. And it's a really compelling reasoning. I liked that he pointed that out because I could definitely see something was different with her, but I couldn't really put my finger on it. And it was uh, like, it was enough of a change that I was like, well, they said that her personality should be essentially the same. And it doesn't seem like it is. So what could that be? And there being a reasoning like that behind it is a perfect, like, I don't want to say excuse, but it is kind of a perfect excuse for the show to give Marcy something different to do with her character without it feeling like something just straight up maybe went wrong with her re-upload or that the show like is trying to just do something interesting by having her act different that doesn't really entirely make sense. So I thought that was extremely smart and I loved her playing Marcy just that tiny bit differently. She is. It's not huge. It's not like she's, you know, unrecognizable, but she has different reactions to things and less compassion about things. So like, for instance, her reaction to finding out that Philip is still doing heroin. And for us, it's still doing for her. It's doing she didn't know about this and doesn't have the memories of this. When she doesn't know that she herself is damaged, her body is damaged, and that she is going to have to do some unorthodox secret shit in order to extend her time. She doesn't have the same empathy towards Philip about the fact that he got put into a body that wasn't what he expected either. She gets very aggressive about the fact that he's using and really wants to monitor how much he's using and basically force him into a detox. And Philip doesn't really argue with her. He seems to know in a lot of ways she her argument is valid. But it's uh, one of those things that as you look back at the way she was and the way they sort of like, I don't want to say conspired, because that implies that they each were like doing something together. But the way they each kept each other's secret and understood the struggle the other was going, Huggabug says less compassionate. That's a good word also. They had a bit of a relationship there and an, uh, because of that understanding that I think Philip valued more than he realized. And now that that is gone, it's th that friendship that sprung up between the two of them due to each of them struggling with something that specific is no longer there. And that's kind of sad. Like I feel a little bit bad for Philip because he's, he was the one who argued for her to accept the reupload because he didn't want to lose her. But now he's realizing maybe he kind of did anyway. And it it is a good thing that she isn't, ill. It's a good thing that she doesn't have to worry about that anymore. But he 
doesn't have the same relationship with her and he kind of can't. It doesn't seem like that is something that he can get back. And it was so purely circumstantial and based on that. I don't know if there's a way to retrieve it. And it's a really, I, I, I like thought experiments like this because I think it's very carefully done. You have all sorts of stories where, well, if this didn't happen, then what would happen here? And there's all sorts of versions of this where we like go back in time and change a small thing. Or we have like the, uh, you know, it's a wonderful life where if you uh, didn't save your brother and the, you know, if you didn't do, if you weren't born, what would have changed? But this is such a small, subtle thing. What if you didn't know you were dying and how many things about the way you look at other people in their situations would change and how, I don't want to say it was a blessing, but it, it gave certainly another dimension to her character that, you know, maybe she will get from something else eventually, maybe, you know, but as of right now, it just feels like I don't know that she can get that perspective back at all. And it makes you really think about your own lives and the ways in which your perspective is distinctly shaped by your personal experiences. And that as much as you may try and empathize with somebody in a different situation, or they might try and empathize, empathize with you, there are just going to be things that if you don't go through them, you will not have that same aspect of your personality. It won't work out the same way. And it's, I love that it's a shift in events that has a character effect rather than simply a plot effect. It's, it's really compelling to me. Um, and all of everything that goes on this episode with Marcy is super compelling. Like her interacting with David is the most heartbreaking shit in the entire world. Like, Guys, David is such a pure cinnamon roll in the midst of this like disaster situation. And he is trying so hard to be patient and understanding. And I, I didn't understand at first why he didn't tell her that they were in a relationship. And it's not until she asks him and he explains that he feels weird telling her that because it's just his word. And that's why he was asking about what McLaren told her about him. Because he was hoping, I think McLaren said, hey, the two of you were in a relationship so that there would be somebody other than him that had informed her of this. It's uncertain whether McLaren even knows. I think he knows that the two of them care about each other. I don't think he knew whether or not they had actually slept together. But either way, the fact that he is that concerned over, you know, the idea that he's taking advantage of her, even though we know that's absolutely not what would be happening, but there might always be a flicker of doubt for her. And he doesn't want that for her is the most good hearted, sweet and considerate thing. And I'm just constantly impressed with how cautious and how aware of issues like consent and, and it's like, I think due to the fact that he is a social worker and he knows that the potential to take advantage is there inherent in his job. So he's extra cautious about that sort of thing in a way that I don't think would even 
occur to a lot of people, you know? I just love it so much. And every time that he is reminded of the fact that she doesn't remember him, it's like a stab to the heart. You know, it's, you know, the first thing is she doesn't remember what tea is, even though obviously it's a bit of a ritual, them making this together. And she tries to fake it a little bit later and say, I remember that you're a reporter. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that was part of the uh, false, like, social media profile that they looked up that led them to believe they knew a enough about her to upload her. They didn't realize who she actually was because of this false social media, you know, Facebook profile that she had. And I think that's what she's going with. So she's trying to pretend she remembers when really it's due to that. And she gets it wrong. And the absolute heartbreak of the moment that he thinks she does remember something and then gets it wrong is crushing. I mean, I, it was like his acting in that moment is so flawless because you can see that he is gutted by it, but also trying desperately not to let it show that he is gutted by it and trying to keep a positive attitude, trying to and, and not because he wants to save her feelings necessarily, but more because he's trying to tell himself it will come back to her. He is trying to convince himself eventually she will become the person that she was. And he even tells her about how he has heard that, you know, amnesia victims get their memories back a lot of the time and that he's hoping that's what happens here. And uh, the thing about that is that I assume because of the nature. So what Grace did, uh, I believe, if I remember correctly, is basically bypass the parts of Marcy's brain that are damaged for function. So they just leave that area that is damaged unused and focus solely on the areas that are still, you know, uh, functioning properly. I don't know if she were to remember anything, if that would be a good sign. I feel like that would mean that she's accessing an area that's not really meant to be functioning anymore because that was what was dangerous to her. And I feel so bad for David because he is so at a loss here and he winds up in this really vulnerable position that she just sort of abandons him in, in a way that feels extremely cold blooded. It's not her fault. She's doing what needs doing in the moment. And she certainly is defending him in a way that feels, I don't want to even say that she cares about him. It feels, uh, territorial, honestly, if anything else, like, this is my dude, and I'll be damned if anybody fucks with my dude. Like, that's sort of where it comes down to for me. I'm getting ahead of myself a little here. But yeah, the scene in the kitchen with the two of them. Oh, God. Um, so then we have the scene between McLaren and Catherine. Yo, this woman's acting. So, Hugabug says, David and Trevor are my favorite characters. Yeah, probably mine too. Yeah, they're just so pure. You know, they really are. Um, McLaren comes to the gym and he's trying to like connect with his wife, 
he's like I have said before, the memory experience that he had has led to him feeling more of a connection with her than he did before. And she is very frustrated at the fact that he is obviously trying to make up for things in a way that is not adequate because he isn't facing the actual issue and instead is trying to do lots of small little like nice things instead of being honest with her, which is what she actually wants. So she finally says, okay, you know what? If you want to do this here, let's do this here. What's her name? And pushes him on it. And I was really shocked at his decision to handle this with simply an admission. Now, he technically, yeah, he was sleeping with somebody else. He was cheating. He was. But I never saw it that way or saw it as being that simple. And I never thought that that's what he would say or use as a, as a reason for the way he's been behaving. I don't think it's a terrible idea, but it really floored me when he just says, how did you know? And her response when he says that and she gulps and you see the tears form and she says, I didn't really, not for sure, but I guess I do now. Ah, oh. it was just so, it was really something, this moment. And she talks about how they, well, the last time they had sex, it was like, not only was he a different person, but it was like he was having sex with a different person, which is a really interesting addition to the whole, you know, she felt that he was fucking somebody else and using her body. And we know that is exactly what the fuck was happening in that scene. We saw his mind and how he was imagining the woman that we know now is like inhabiting Carly's body. I assume it was her. So it's really amazing that she is that intuitive, but it makes sense because the two of them were really, really close. And I think that is something that you would be able to tell, you know? So this leads to him saying, when she says it was like you were making love to a different person, you were a different person. And he says, in a way I was. And all I can tell you is that I'm here now and I want to stay. And we know that's exactly true. He was like what he went through with nearly dying changed his fucking whole idea of their relationship. The, his bond with Carly has clearly deteriorated and we see it when she tries to kiss him and he pulls away from her. Things with Carly are not the same for him. Things with Catherine are much more intense than they had been. And she says in this moment, I'm not sure I want you to. But when he comes up to her later and tells her that she has to like, basically go into hiding and that he's worried about what's going to happen to her. You can see she is very, very much wanting him to be okay. And I think that she is going, I mean, after finding out somebody cheated on you, 
I don't think the majority of relationships can take that kind of break in trust. I am not somebody I think that would be able to forgive that and move on. And I think it's a rare thing that you need to really believe your partner that they're being completely honest with you. And you need to be able to extend trust again, at least a little, because if you can't do that, you never will be able to. And that's what everything is based on. I think that they seem like the type of relationship that could get through this. And I hope that they move forward. But I wouldn't blame her if she did decide in the end, I didn't want you to die. But that doesn't mean I think our relationship is saved. Um, oh, and I meant to, uh, I forgot about the fact that Marcy is showing uh, David the marks where she gave herself this experimental surgery. And she doesn't remember doing any of this, of course. And she comes out wearing this little bralette that I was like, I always am startled continually over how beautiful Marcy is. She is just stunning. It's just annoying. And she comes out in this little bralette with her perfectly formed breasts in a bralette that fits the way bralettes are supposed to fit, which has never happened for me in my life. And has her shirt open and she's leaning over him like, look at this. And I could not blame the man an iota for the fact that he's like, wait, I'm sorry, what? <clears throat> uh, what, what did you, I, oh, 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 the scars, right? Yes. Uh, no, you did surgery. And then there was like a, a spinal tap thing that you taught me to do. And it's a really interesting moment because uh, I think almost more than anything else, this is what leads the new Marcy to realizing how important David was to her. It's, you know, the fact that she made this kind of surgery, did this to herself, um, knowing that it was unlikely to even work, and then decided to do something more drastic and trusted him to help her with it, even though he doesn't have medical training. It's a real indicator of a kind of trust that it's clear isn't gained from her very easily. Um, and, you know, I just, I really liked that whole scene. And eventually when he, uh, she comes into the kitchen later and he's like, Hey, could you, uh, could you, could you button your, your shirt, please? Thank you. Um, and she asks if it was bothering you. And he says, bother's the wrong word. And I'm like, yeah, buddy, I'm not even into women. And I still find boobs hugely distracting. I really feel for dudes who are around titties and have to pretend they don't see them because like, they're distracting. It's just that's what they are. They're wonderful. And it's just, I'm sorry, guys, I'm sure that's very difficult. <laughs> um, but yeah, she asks if they were intimate and he says that he doesn't want to say because it's only his word and he doesn't want to take advantage. And she kisses him in response, which I didn't really know what to make of the fact that she did that. She backs away from him and he kind of looks at her like wanting to know why, like the, he, and he thinks maybe it was a test. Uh, she says that was to say, thank you for helping me. And he says, I thought maybe you remembered something. And this is when she says that 
he's a reporter and his heart breaks into a million pieces. Um, all right. So we go to Carly and she's calling McLaren, trying to get him to do something about her husband taking custody of their son. And when he tell, I forgot that Jeff came to see McLaren and that McLaren never mentioned it to her that this happened. It makes sense that they haven't. Uh, although, honestly, if this happened to me and I saw her directly after, and I think he was like either headed to a mission or something, I would have texted her immediately and been like, what the fuck is your husband doing over here? Um, or your, you know, baby daddy. Um, I spoke to Jeff Carley and he spoke to me at work. Um, you need to get this situation under control. And she says, that's why I need your help. And he says, does Trevor call me every time he's got trouble with his parents? And she says, no, but you don't sleep with Trevor, do you? And I really like, didn't love that she put it that way, because that's what she's saying basically is, because we have sex, I expect you to treat me differently than everyone else. And it's like, uh, is it just me or does that feel kind of out of character for her? I feel like I can't get a handle on Carly. I don't, she is so much like the mission above all else until that's not how it works for her. And then this like throwing it in his face that they're having sex as a means of trying to like leverage his help. It felt manipulative in a way I didn't expect from her. And I was not impressed. And I liked that McLaren just says fight your own battles just like the rest of us. And I didn't expect him to take that hard a line. And I really believe that he was able to do that because he doesn't feel as emotionally invested in their relationship as he did before. But I was glad that he did it because I didn't like the whole tone that she took with him there. It just felt ugly to me. And like I said, really manipulative. Um, so we go to Grace, one of the funniest scenes in the show so far, as a guidance counselor at school. Oh, Grace, you monster. <sighs> What a disaster she is. So this girl that we saw getting bullied, you know, Trevor, like, stood up for her in a prior scene, and she tells him what corn is. Um, she says, and then Renee said that all my pictures should have hashtag boob job won't fix this on them. And Grace's response is a mystified, so you didn't retaliate? And she says, this is your problem, exactly. You let people walk all over you. You need to establish dominance. Next time Renee says something that you disparage her home life, her mother has a DUI. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. But then follows it up with, alternatively, you can accept the fact that you're less attractive and uninteresting. That option may be even more realistic. So this girl just says, I'm going to go. And I really like, I wonder even if Grace had not been shot, what would have happened 
if she had stayed on this, like on this job. Um, I really had no idea what, like, this is the kind of thing that she would be reported for. And would anybody believe that she had actually said these things? You know, has any coworker noticed the change in personality? I, I'm just so curious about all of this. Um, oh, and so this is the moment when the girl comes in the room. This was something that happened, I think, right before the uh, opening credits. So this girl, she takes over the body of somebody that it said revised time of death. Correct me if I'm wrong. That what is the first time we've seen that. Am I wrong about that? I'm extremely curious how this works out because I don't know, maybe she like died of a brain aneurysm that maybe that was what was meant to happen in the moment, but it does not seem like this girl is at risk of death in the moment that, that she is taken over. She's simply laying there. So this is the girl. I think they say later that, when that whole family was taken over, she was the sole person who misfired and didn't know what was going on. Bless her. So I guess the revision was the from the original time of death that they had on record that misfired, which I just feel really bad that like, it's sort of like a final destination thing where if you didn't die when you were supposed to die, but you also didn't get taken over, that they, I, I guess you are just like a sitting duck that they can take over at any point from there on out because you had been supposed to die. So that's kind of fucked up, man. You know, like that she got away because the dude who took over her father's body stopped the car and didn't crash it. So she survived, but she's not really free of this whole thing ever for the rest of her life. If they want her, they can take her. And that is kind of appalling, honestly. You know, having your life saved doesn't actually mean anything to them. Yikes. So she gets taken over and this woman comes into her room and she, her, she says mom's here, even though she is not her mom. I guess she is trying to be the like girl's mom um because the woman comes in because she heard her yelling and thinks that she had a nightmare and you see the woman hugging her and her like reach over to grab something off of the nightstand and i was just i i'm watching her pick this thing up and i was just like what 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 is she what is she doing and then I guess she stabs it through her fucking eye. We don't actually see the injury. We just see the plunge of it. And it might have gone through like her temple. But it is a brutal moment that this girl executes with complete coolness. There's no emotion behind it. There is no passion behind it. It is simply like an, a, it's like a Terminator moment of just like a robotic reaction. And... I don't know, does, maybe because she, then somebody uh, says, Charlotte, is everything all right in there? And she says, no, 
you should come in as she picks up another pencil, obviously about to kill this dude too. I guess this is like her aunt and uncle, maybe who took who like, you know, it doesn't really matter, but I'm just going, I, if she did wind up surviving, she winds up being shot, this girl. And even if she didn't wind up surviving, even being shot, what do you think the media is going to make of this girl killed on the street whose parents died in a car crash or didn't, I guess they didn't, right? Wait. These parents that she's killing are travelers, though. Oh, my God, I completely forgot. I'm thinking that they're regular people who don't know that their daughter got taken over. But her parents never died. So why am I acting like she has been cared for by her aunt and uncle or anything? Her parents never died. I guess I thought that since her whole family got taken over by travelers, that they figured out somewhere to put her so that she wouldn't like be around them and all of their missions. That's what I was thinking. But of course, they couldn't do that. They can't just abandon their kid. They have to put on a show of being her parents this whole time. And she has to know that something is up. Oh, this poor girl. She It must have been brutal for her. So she's just here to... They had a perfect host waiting in a house full of other travelers that she could then go through and kill methodically. What did she do with their bodies then? Like... I assume she's not trying to cover her tracks because she doesn't really need to worry about that. So if the media finds out that she murdered her entire family, I have to assume that will help uh, Carly's ex-booze case. What is his name? Michael? I always want to call him Michael. I can never remember. Um, He, I feel like, that is going to wind up working out in his favor. Jeff, thank you, Hugabug. Oh, Michael's telling me the girl is the survivor from the fan. Sorry, Michael, I didn't even see your comment, but thank you for trying to help me anyway. Um, yeah, I mean, I think Carly really thinks that she is fucking him over, and she probably would be, and I, I have to assume it's not going to go as badly for him as she expects because of the carnage this girl left behind. That's assuming there was carnage left behind. I don't know what a traveler does when they assassinate other travelers. You know, this is obviously something that they have not run into before because they didn't know about the factions existing in the first place. I don't really know how they would handle this if the they're not executing an ongoing mission if they don't need to keep their cover i would assume she then waits for her father murders him goes and finds her brother murders him and then leaves the house right like she can just she could just leave the house and nobody's gonna go and look for them for days and by then you know she's got what she needs to make her way in the world because she is like has a full-grown human brain inside of her head uh She's not a child with a child's experience. So, hmm. Interesting. Well, um, I'm just, ah, my brain is going in so many different directions now. I had to jump back to that scene. But this is when she comes into uh, Grace's office. And um, 
it's an amazing moment because Grace initially thinks that this is just a regular student. This girl says, I need you to f- sign a permission slip. And Grace says, shouldn't your parents fill it out? And she looks up and looks at Grace and just says, they're dead. And Grace says, what? And she pulls out the switchblade and like goes at her. And it really seems to Grace initially that this girl is just a maniac student, which I mean, I'm sure people run into and why wouldn't you? But once Trevor spots what's happening, he gets her to say, I'm on a mission. So he is pretty certain that, you know, this girl, especially because once they figure out that she was like the lone survivor, that for some reason, they were sent to kill Grace. We find out that what happened here is a a lot more complicated than that. And I'm going to get into it because I have some questions about that. I will say that this girl's like fighting scene with Grace is actually pretty well done. I was impressed with like how much of a threat this girl seems, even though she is young and she's, you know, smaller than both Trevor and Grace, but she still feels like she will fuck your shit up. Like I was definitely concerned. I thought for a second that maybe she would get Grace. Um, so yeah, Grace says, I can't stay here. I'll be back. I have to go to Ellis. And Trevor tells everybody that they have to meet at ops. A traveler just tried to kill Grace. Obviously right now they don't know any of the information we find out a little bit later. Um, I really liked the moment where Marcy comes in and tells them, sorry, I had a hard time finding the place because everybody has forgotten that she hasn't like done this a million times. Her memory isn't here. So she had a hard time. Um, So they're talking to Grace about like whether or not this was actually a traveler. Carly says, are you sure it wasn't just a student with a bone to pick? And Trevor says, I was there. That was the family that had their historian misfire. Um, it was their daughter. And this is when we find out that she was taken as a host um, and that the director didn't send her. And they're like, but nobody else is able to send travelers. The director is the only one. And this is when Trevor says to Grace, tell them what you did. Tell them or I will. And it's very clear from the way this is said that it's like a bombshell that she doesn't want to have to admit to. But she says, I reset the director. Rebooted its OS through a virus in order to protect it from corruption by the faction. Uh This is a real bombshell moment for us, the viewer, because it's the first moment that we have found out that the director is a fucking program, not a person. It's very clever. I, there are times when this kind of like sudden reveal would feel cheap as fuck. And I'd be like, oh God, come on. I thought this was very well done. I was pretty impressed. Actually, it makes complete sense now. And it makes a lot of sense as well why they were always so faithful to the director doesn't make mistakes. The director doesn't get stuff wrong. It's not a person. They have absolute certainty because it's 
basically like a series of algorithms built on history. And, you know, I I don't know what else, but it is just once this is revealed, I'm like, okay. Um, and she says the director is a highly advanced quantum AI program and I'm the lead programmer. So no, it's not impossible. And McLaren says, well, okay, this AI has been literally running every facet of our entire lives since long before I was born. And every mission and you just reset it and she says i helped create it so nobody else could have done it and it turns out she used marcy to do it so that moment where she does that like calibration and has marcy like looking at the screen that i thought was like really weird when she saw my code it was sent back as visual uh, information through the quantum bridge created through transfer of consciousness. So what Grace says is I saved you. I'm saving the director. And I can't believe that you guys aren't grateful to us for doing this. And then we begin to find out about the differences in the uh, factions and the differences in what our group of travelers knows about the future versus what is actually happening. So the faction doesn't believe in the grand plan. And she says, even before Helios had basically no effect on our future, they had already started a mission to abandon ship. And it's a great moment to remind us that Helios was considered a failure. Like it didn't completely fix everything. So we assume it kind of did nothing or whatever it did wasn't particularly significant. And Grace is also assuming that at this point in the conversation. Um, and she says, you know, firsthand the brutality that they're capable of. And Carly is the one who's like, oh, they're the ones who put us in cages and tortured us. So that makes complete sense. And I didn't really put it together that because, you know, when it happens, when they're abducted, it's after the Helios thing, but I assumed it was somebody in the present who was reacting to their interfering with Helios and with like government issues. But it turns out that they only appear because of the change affected by Helios. So it all lines up and makes sense. Um, and the, she said that they were testing your loyalty and making sure you couldn't complete a mission they disagreed with. Um, that was the first real proof I had that they'd managed to implement some of their agenda. So I came back into the 21st to stop them. And Carly asks for all of the information that they have. She says the director will come back online more secure than ever. And soon everything will go back to normal. She doesn't mention here about the reset period, but we find out later I don't know exactly how long that is meant to be but yeah she keeps on saying thank you for saving us Grace expecting everybody to be grateful to her when it's like yeah you didn't tell them anything that you were doing so of course they don't trust you now is the problem lady it's not about like 
it's about you deciding to take it into your own hands to manage everybody and everything according to your judgment. That's the fucking problem. But she seems unwilling or unable to see that. Um, and she says if they go back to Ellis's place, that he has taken precautions that make it so that they are not able to upload into anybody on that property, which winds up being kind of a key thing a little bit later on. Um, I am the whole thing with the factions. They, she says that even before Helios wound up having no effect, they were already planning to do, uh, to go off on their own. But what we wind up finding out is that uh, it's the unit that got caved in from the ice on the roof when Philip was near. I think he was either in that unit, like because they say thousands of people died. And um, I think it was Sector, maybe is what they're calling it. 41. Um, I'm not on that scene right now. So forgive me. I'm speaking from memory here. But evidently those people had maybe been fomenting some sort of faction in Philip's time as well, but they were killed and it's potentially not an accident that they died. Like everybody keeps talking about the ice on the roof of the building. And I'm not entirely convinced that's what that was anymore. Like I don't, I wouldn't be surprised if that wound up being something orchestrated because somebody or something knew that they were attempting to break off on their own, but we'll see. Um, so, okay. We have the moment where, uh, Jeff is bringing the baby to the babysitter and Carly is watching him. I am not sure what Carly is planning to do. I'm thinking she might be about to go and tell the babysitter, I've got him. Don't worry about it. Um, but either way, she gets interrupted by the arrival of this child assassin. And it is a pretty good fight. I rather enjoyed watching this because it's just weird to see this happening in the middle like of, of a suburban street, you know? So many scenes like this, they take place in the city. They take place in like kind of either a more exotic or more industrial location. And this is a very pleasant, sunny, tree-lined street. Um, so they're fighting. This girl gets the gun back finally and is about to shoot Carly. And there is a soft pop of a silenced weapon and she turns and she sees Jeff. He shot this girl in the chest from a bit of a ways away. Pretty good shot. I'm a little impressed. I'm not going to lie. He comes up to her and asks her, are you okay? What the hell was that? She was going to shoot you. I had no choice. And she's like, yeah, she was, she was going to shoot me. He says, you saw that. Right. And he reaches for you for her and she's getting in her car and he starts yelling carly what are you doing what the fuck are you doing now i don't know if this is true but it feels true is this the first time we've heard anybody say fuck on this show because like it really struck me when he said what the fuck are you doing i was like ooh, i don't feel like i remember that much cursing on this show and i'm you know i'm not sure how that works but uh if it wasn't like a network show they have different rules on that, I assume. So, 
But yeah, she gets in the car and drives away. And she's the only witness to the fact that this woman was about to, or woman, this girl had drawn her weapon and was assaulting someone. So we've got a black cop who shot a young, pretty white girl in the middle of the suburbs. I mean, he's a cop, so he'll likely be fine. Likely. But if we know anything, it's that the only cops that had, have ever been held responsible for the fact that they have shot a civilian, those are cops who are not white. And you guys can go look at recent cases in the past, like three or four years to know that. So his being worried about this is understandable. I mean, I'm just hoping that she didn't cover up her trail and that they're going to find her parents' bodies and all of a sudden it will look like she was a lunatic and he definitely had cause, you know, maybe it'll work out for him. And I, I suspect it will. I'm running out of time. So I really need to get a move on here. Um, we wind up finding out that, uh, that Ellis is building a quantum frame so that the director can jump back in time to the 21st if things get bad enough. And we find out a little bit later that the director is being kept out of their, uh, of getting in contact with them because of the protections around the place. And it feels like, well, it's not because eventually they get through See, it's so confusing, guys. I'm going to jump ahead here. We have a moment. I'm going to come back to this. We have a moment where McLaren gets faced by um, Boyd, the cop that he kept going to. And she says that she was given an order to kill him. And she can tell something isn't quite right. And he tries to talk to her about it. And she sort of winds up setting it up for him with a tacit acknowledgement that he can shoot her. And I guess she's wearing a... Uh, bulletproof vest. So I, I think she is. So she will end up being okay, but it will look like she attempted to complete her mission. Like she, you know, it's not that she just ignored orders. Um, And at this point, practically everybody is, you know, somebody is attempting to get each one of them. And this is when we get the whole thing with somebody coming to David's house and holding him hostage and having him call Marcy. And Marcy goes in through this other woman's house and pulls out a sniper rifle, calls David and tells him to duck, and then shoots the guy through the window. And it is really kind of amazing that she is able to pull this off. Like, so she comes in to like, kind of handle the situation. He's like, you killed him. She says, what did you expect me to do? <laughs> Which I mean, fair question. And then says, I need you to go stay somewhere else. And he's like, wait, you just want me to leave? I can't do that. We need to call the cops. And I'm like, David, you know what she's, you don't know what she's involved in, but you know, she's involved in some serious shit. You have to understand that calling the cops isn't like really an option, but she accepts that this is who he is and says, do you want me to lie? And she says, 
No, David, I want you to go somewhere safe. But if you want to call the police, then yes, lie. Which was a really good answer that I liked a lot. (laughs) So when she realizes that he is not going to do what she's asking, she just fucking bails and leaves David barefoot in his fucking living room with the body on the floor. We find out uh, that Catherine has decided to get in touch with Forbes to find out what the fuck is going on with her husband. And she, he isn't responding. And I'm not sure if it's her calls that lead to him trying to track down McLaren or what, but he is like, he is the reason that my jaw dropped at the end of the episode because he is like, fucking walks through the door and sees McLaren in a position that I don't feel like they're going to be able to, uh, to explain. Shit goes so left, you guys, and I have hardly any time left. And I feel like I really need to like, involve some of this episode in my talk for the next episode. But I don't know how I'm going to do that. Um, Nothing will penetrate within a hundred yard radius, no electronics, no GPS, no telemetry of any kind in the 21st or the future. So we're invisible to the faction right now and to the director. It won't be able to send a messenger or consciousness, let alone itself. As soon as we know the director's back online, we can turn off the defenses. Then it can either come back to the 21st or stay where it is. Now, what winds up happening is that they don't, have a good idea on the timing of when he got his orders and whether or not it could have come from the faction to build this thing and not the director. And later on, it seems pretty clear it came from the faction and he's following orders because that's what he's trained to do. And that's what he feels like he should do. But the fact that the director is coming back to the 21st seems like a real bad thing because he winds up being taken over and like recites a uh an order to destroy the quantum frame does he die from taking because like that mission um you know those those mission assignments come through kids because they fuck up the brains of people who are past puberty and i guess that we thought like that he was going to die and that's why they took him over um, yeah, I don't, uh, so let's see, they are trying to figure out whether it was a faction or maybe they're being punished for helping Grace do the thing that, you know, the director didn't want her to do. Um, and Philip has done a little bit of research to see if there are other groups of travelers that are also being targeted and nobody else seems to be, but rightfully marcy points out if they succeeded in killing the groups that you know that they were going after there sure wouldn't be anything to report would there because they'd all be dead um so yeah trevor gets the uh mission to take down the quantum um the quantum frame but they don't really want to listen because it came as a text message which is unorthodox and they think that could be the faction then there are uh some people that begin to circle the building and shoot at them and we're assuming that they are the faction but then later the the fbi comes in and so i'm like was that the fbi shooting initially or was that the faction i assume it was the faction and the fbi came in response to that 
but I'm not 100% certain. Um, Philip and Carly, well, I guess that happens a little bit later. But uh, yeah, eventually, um, Carly gets the order to kill him and has the kiss that is not really returned. And he tells her that he can't do this anymore. And she gets salty about it and tells him she understands. And I think she does understand. I think, you know, intellectually. But that doesn't change the fact that she's super hurt by it. Um, and I'm trying to. Oh, oh, right. So I just received a mission from the director to destroy it by text. Um, and then Carly reveals that she was given the order to kill him and kind of pushes him on whether he believes that they stick to the mission. And you know, the whole, this whole thing about the factions winds up coming out that they don't know anything about this. Um, and at this point, he gets taken over, is tells them that they need to destroy the quantum frame. And as Trevor is about to lift the axe to destroy it, like before Ellis gets taken over, he lifts a fucking shotgun is about to shoot Trevor. Grace steps in front of Trevor. She gets shot in the gut and then it goes through Trevor and also goes into his gut. So he is also injured and Ellis has just killed the both of them. Maybe killed. I'm guessing that Trevor's going to be okay. But it's still a pretty brutal moment where you really think she took the bullet and she did, but not enough. <laughs> she wasn't thick enough. Um, and I love Carly yelling or Marcy yelling at Carly, put the fucking gun down and help me. Like, I just really am irritated with Carly and I needed somebody to yell at her, even if it's unrelated. Um, so all of this, you know, chaos is happening when he gets taken over um the drop the attenuation field the director could still help us and that's when he gets the order and the quantum frame meanwhile is powering up and he says it looks like the director's coming right before this happens so they have very limited time in which to destroy the thing and prevent the director from coming back to the 21st which i don't know what that looks like if they do you know like what does that change for the future if the director is back here at this time? Um, so McLaren lifts the axe and is about to destroy the thing. And the FBI comes running in and uh, fucking what's his name? Is it Ford? I keep forgetting his name. I just said it earlier too. And I already forgot it. But he is at the beginning of the line and looks at McLaren like, dude, what the fuck? Like, and it's not like a, I can't believe you're here. He's looking at him like he kind of expected to see him here and is pissed. And that is the end of the episode. And there is just so much. And I feel like I didn't get to do this real justice, but I'm just like, I'm so sorry. I'm over time. So, um, do, 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 uh, hug a bug. I don't know an answer to your young wizards question. Nobody got back to me. Um, but I will find out. Uh, I am really, guys, I'm dying here. I'm dying. I really can't wait to find out what happens. I, the next episode is Friday, like I said, and I get to watch it live. So I'm super excited about that. Um, 
Anyway, all right, I am going to wrap. Thank you all again so, so much for listening, for hanging out in the chat. And uh, thank you to Karen for commissioning the episode. I believe it was Karen. And yeah, I'm just, this was a really good one. I really like this show. All right, everybody. Until next time, toodaloo, motherfuckers. Spoiled Network Podcast. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.